Welcome back to Money Stories with LDT. I'm thrilled to partner with Howland Capital in this new series to explore the importance of women's economic well-being. Charlie Clapp here, president of Howland Capital Management, been with the firm 30 plus years out of its 50 plus year history. And it's readily apparent to all of us how important women's roles in all of our families that we work with, how they are the glue that binds the families and glues the generations that we serve. It's no secret that women's influence is growing in economics terms, and we certainly want to be doing everything we can to ensure that our clients, men, women, and their next generation family members are all attended to um, because it's integral to everything that we do. We certainly have tried to embrace the importance of women's financial well-being, recognize they have a unique way of looking at things, particularly their wealth and how it can be a positive influence on their lives, their families' lives, and we remain committed to helping them do just that. And that spills right down to our own partners and staff and employees, because we certainly see firsthand how important all the women that work for Howland Capital have been and will continue to be. So as we look ahead, I invite you to listen and learn more about women's economic independence and strength. We partnered with Money Stories to help you do just that and help us fulfill those goals for all of you. Welcome to today's Money Stories conversation with Howland Capital. Today, we're joined by two of Howland's partners, Nick Crocker and Maureen Quigley. Nick serves as a portfolio manager and research analyst for Howland, and also is very active in the Boston investment community through his work with the CFA Society. Maureen is a portfolio manager and also the chief compliance officer for Howland. Both Nick and Maureen take a hands-on, proactive approach to working with their clients, and I know you'll enjoy hearing about how they view their work as coaches, collaborators, and confidants. I'm so pleased to welcome Maureen and Nick to today's Money Stories program. Maureen and Nick, thanks so much for joining in today's conversation. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure to be with you, Linda. Great. Today, we continue our Money Stories program with Howland Capital by taking a deeper dive with Maureen and Nick into some of the opportunities and challenges that they've learned about in working with women. Some of the topics we're going to talk about today may actually seem a bit more personal than financial, but really, as we all know, money is personal. Its purpose is to help create possibility and peace of mind during all the inevitable ups and downs that we face. And having an experienced advisor by our side who has really been through similar situations with others can be a huge help. And that's what we're gonna talk about today with Maureen and Nick. I'd like to start, if I could, by asking each of you if you would share one of your own money stories with our listeners and maybe could you talk a little bit about a personal situation that intertwined with your finances and how it really felt to you to work through that. So whoever wants to start, Maureen or Nick? Sure, I'll, I'll start. And um, I'll just start with a story about um, my parents, which, um, you know, growing up in our household, I feel like I had really two different um, people and, and who had different relationships with money, but both had um, I'd say a positive orientation and, and a positive message to, to give to me. And, um, you know, certainly through my dad, it was more of money is, um, you know, a great enabler of, um, of having a great life and, uh, and having fun. Whereas my mom, I think, had much more of the, 
the discipline around hmm. money and money management um, and saving. But um, both of them had a value system around money and I think modeled money behaviors in, in a way that um, really stuck with me and, and particularly, um, you know, around, around charity and, and the need to, to give back. So learned, learned a lot from them and, uh, but certainly things that I can improve on for, for myself and my family. So you really, a sense of values came through, even though you may not have called it that when you were young, that's, that sounds, that's what's coming through to me, that that financial culture really communicated values to you. Thanks so much for sharing that personal story. Maureen, do you have any thoughts or recollections or, or, or examples you want, you could share with us about your own personal money story? Yes. Well, my story comes a little bit more recently. So my, uh, my parents uh, passed away a few years ago. And one of the things that I really took from that is that they had an estate plan. Uh, they had a trust, you know, other estate documents. They had a plan. And uh, I'm one of five kids. Mm. And it was a, it was a very uh, important move that they made in order to establish an estate plan. Uh, was it perfect? No. Uh, there were kinks to work out. My, my father, ever, ever the optimist, wanted all the five of us to be trustees. <laughs> and we ultimately decided that uh, our older brother would be uh, the trustee and, and the personal representative. And, you know, one of the things that ended up happening, sadly, is that their health declined really at the same rate, and they ended up dying within a week of each other. Oh, my goodness. Oh, completely different, you know, health related issues. And so we had to jump into action pretty quickly. One of the things I always tell my clients, young or old, is one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is having a solid estate plan. I mean, it really, it, again, it wasn't perfect, but it, it made an enormous difference. And I see uh, some, you know, various clients at various stages of the estate planning process, but I always do my best to encourage them to keep moving down that road and make changes as, as life changes, but that having an estate plan, plan and a sort of a planning mindset is just enormously important, really for the next generations. Really very powerful, Maureen, and thank you for sharing, because when you said that they passed away within a week, I actually had a very similar experience with my parents. They passed together very, very within a few weeks. I was also one of five. Also, my oldest brother, you know, even though I was in the financial services business, my oldest brother is the one who was there locally to help them. And I'm just curious, were you aware ahead of time that your parents had these plans in place? Or is it something you discovered? Oh, yes, we were very aware ahead of time. Yeah, and I was, I was actually helping with the financial piece in terms of managing the assets in the trust. And they sold their last home there. Uh, you know, obviously there was an inflow of assets of cash from the sale of that home. And then managing their care, they were being cared for privately. That was the best choice for them. And it also did require, you know, participation of family members in order to, you know, keep their care going, keep monitoring it. One of my sisters who has a nursing background uh, took the role of the healthcare proxy. Mm -hmm. what, what you don't want is a crisis, right? Where someone breaks a hip, 
they go to the hospital, they go to rehab, the rehab folks say they can't go back living on their own, you know, whatever the situation is. And so I really try with my clients to introduce those issues really as soon as it seems appropriate. Absolutely. And, you know, you've explained in your own personal money story, my goodness, your parents did a great job of career of career coaching because in their own kids, they had a financial expert, a healthcare expert. <laughs> so great job on their part, but no, seriously, just the fact that they created this environment where they did share with their next gen heirs and family members what that they have plans in place because that I'm sure provided tremendous peace of mind ahead of time for you all, that it wasn't a mystery, you know, as to what was going to happen. You knew that as challenging as it would be emotionally, they had the business side of life planned out. So that's a great message, great message for us all. Maybe switching, switching to the earlier phase of life, Nick, if I could turn to you, I know that you particularly enjoy helping younger people, those who were just starting out with their own financial lives and habits, maybe in their 20s or even 30s. And I'm just wondering, are there any particular rules of the road or habits that you could share with our listeners about that part of life and how you really get on the right track, or even when there are problems that you've encountered with that age group, how do you, how do you help them out? Yeah, I, I like to think um, along kind of three dimensions just for dealing with money as, as a young person. And one is acquisition, use, and management. And where we tend to partner with clients is, is on the management piece, but um, you know, very much in what's in the, the control of, of the individual is, is sort of the acquisition and, and the use of, of money. And I think there was a philosopher that said, you know, money makes a good servant, but uh, a bad master. And many people, I think, seek out, you know, out of school, uh, you know, making as much as much money as possible is is the right way to go. But that's that's not always the case, and it can it can matter much more in terms of you know what's what's fulfilling for you as a career, and and how you can advance your career to where you want to be. I think around the use of money is, you know, really how to be reasonably careful and, and conscious in terms of how you save or, or spend money and really developing a, a system, you know, whether that's using you know, budgeting tools um, or just developing good, good habits of, of saving. Um, you know, there's, there's many ways to save kind of passively uh, by contributing to, to your employer 401ks. Or, or saving more sort of actively uh, by tucking away a certain amount of money, you know, each, each paycheck. But I think on, you know, on the management piece where we spend a lot of time partnering with, with young clients, you know, it's like, okay, you have the savings, um, you know, what, what do you do with it? And how, how can you kind of make it work, work for you and, and think about in terms of what's for the long-term, what is maybe for needed, maybe more in the short-term, and, and sort of helping clients to, to optimize between, you know, what's what may be needed in the short term versus how they can save for the longer term. You know, it strikes me that I would imagine there are many young people who really don't even realize that they might be able to call on someone like you 
And that if their families have a relationship with Howland on their financial team, that they could be part of that. So I'm just, you know, it just strikes me that, that that's something that we should get out there because some of those young people may not even realize that it would be appropriate to come in for some tips or come in for some, you know, lessons really on how to get set up the right way. So is, is, that's what I'm understanding, right? That you'll actually sit down with the younger generation of your clients and in a hands-on fashion, help them out. That's right. Yeah. Really, really partner with them on, on decision-making and, you know, it's, it's not as if you have to be, you know, completely sort of on your own making these decisions, but um, you know, we're, we're there as a sounding board for you and, um, you know, can help put together a plan or just, you know, think about decisions along the way. So Nick, as a parent of, of two daughters in an age group, one in her early thirties and one in almost 30, you know, one of the things that they voiced to me is how important it is to have mentors who are not judgmental. And it is so challenging sometimes for young people to see this financial life ahead of them. Maybe they have student loan or, you know, guess what? Maybe they needed to use their credit card a little bit more than they should have, or, you know, it can feel daunting. And so to be able to go to someone like you, who clearly you're, you're calm and thorough and reassuring and prepared and just give that voice of assurance that we all have ups and downs with our money, especially when we're just starting out learning and that it's okay that a mistake you know, at that early phase, what did I learn from that? And how can I get on the right track? So, and Maureen, do you have any thoughts about, about this, this area? I like to take the long view. And I, you know, I think back to generations, maybe older parents or grandparents who certainly in more traditional settings, you know, there, there might be one income. And then when that parent retired, there was a benefit plan where, um, between that and Social Security, people in the retirement phase of their life just were adequately supported. And over the decades, as 401k and 403b plans and IRAs have come and defined benefit plans have all but disappeared, that um, really the risk of managing our finances and planning for retirement is really on us as individuals now more and more. And, you know, and the data out there aren't great in terms of how much say people in their fifties, sixties, and seventies have, have saved for retirement. So when I work with younger clients, I'm always keenly aware of that, that the world that they're living in now is so much more complicated and they're responsible for so many more financial decisions than was the case in past generations. So true. And just to acknowledge that with them, that it is not, they're not alone. They're not the only ones feeling this stress. And that, you know, if finding a mentor that can help them through the stages, someone they can talk to, even about different career choices, that all of those things, I'm sure, come under the umbrella of conversations, Nick, that you have with these young people when they land at your desk, you know, again, it's, it's a sounding board. It's that objective voice. It's not their parents, because I know that myself with our daughters, you know, as much as I know they care about me, sometimes they really want and need to talk to somebody who's more objective. So it's fantastic that you 
that you both do that. You mentioned um, retirement. So, you know, that's going to the other end of the coin. Let's say that Nick has done his job and they've signed up for their 401k and everything that they can possibly do if such a benefit is there and those habits are formed. It can still seem like a really long time away to retirement. It's sort of a mystery word that is always out there. But then right before you know it, as you said a few minutes ago, you're in your 50s or, or, or further along. And for those who are close to that, closer to that retirement phase, or maybe even those who haven't gotten there yet, but they still have some time to work on being in the best shape possible. Do you have any advice, particularly as you think about your women clients, about how to, how to best prepare for that and how to think about that phase if you're, if you're past your 20s and 30s, but you're, you, can, you can imagine getting there, but maybe you're not quite there yet. Any, any particular advice that you have? Well, I do find that this is probably typical of everyone, but certainly I find it among my client uh, group that, you know, as you get older, money and finances and things like that do become more of an issue because you, you see, well, life, life becomes more complex anyway. But um, so I do like to have those kinds of conversations with clients. One of the things I like to say is that it's, there's still time to save it's really never too late. And in conjunction with that, retirement is long. I mean, it's interesting when the social security law was first uh, enacted, uh, sort of sort of the early to mid sixties was considered retirement. And then it was, you know, the, the lifespan was shorter back then. And now retirement can last for 30, 35 years. And so, uh, one of the things that we do as portfolio managers is we we like to keep the growth going in those portfolios, you know, in the accounts, in taxable accounts, in retirement accounts. We, we also, you know, sort of sticking to the practical, we also uh, do a lot of modeling for our clients. We do a lot of uh, sort of scenarios where, you know, very, we can obviously introduce all kinds of assumptions into the models based on their life circumstances and what they foresee, things that they know particularly, but uh, we can uh, project out, you know, what their accounts might look like 20, 30 years hence. And also talking with them about choices, trade-offs for those who are perhaps not sure they'll have enough to live on. I mean, will I outgrow my assets? I mean, that's a common question that we all wonder about. For clients with more means, decisions around what sort of what bucket, if you will, to pull money from if they are if they actually are in retirement. And I think, you know, for women in particular, it is often in the context of family relationships. It's of course changing, but certainly many women are primary caretakers in their families. And if it's not their children, then it might be aging parents and making sure that there is enough for them. We have some incredibly generous clients. I mean, fabulously generous who give yearly to children and grandchildren. And sometimes it is important to have a conversation about, well, you know, do you need to give this much? Or, and we also play an important role there. Speaking of third parties, because we can kind of run interference, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if it's really time to have a conversation with a son or a daughter about, you know, how much mom is giving 
to them, then we, you know, we, we can play the baddie, you know, we can, we can jump in there and uh, just be that third party that helps the family. I mean, that, that's also why we work with several generations, right? Because we have these conversations and we, we get to know the next generations. You know, that is such an important service because look, we talk about at the outset of our conversation, this is personal. It is really challenging. I mean, all, you know, we, as parents, we want to help our kids, you know, doesn't mean we always should to the degree that, you know, perhaps we are financially. I know that feeling of you want to do it, but then, hey, you know, I'm the one who's responsible for myself. So how do we balance that out? And uh, Nick, I, I know when, I wonder in your conversations with young people, does, does this ever come up in some of your conversations about let's get you launched, you know, let's really step in with you and whether it's doing a spreadsheet of showing you how to do your budget or looking at how you're going to be able to grow your asset, your own retirement over the next 30 years. And do you, do you find that you have some of those conversations in there and trying to be that that you know, objective kind of third party, as Maureen says. Absolutely, I think um, you know one instance of a case where I worked with a younger client who um, just really needed help seeing the, the bigger picture, and um, they're involved in the you know, somewhat complex family, multi generations, and multi generational wealth. And you know, for for her, it was really an understanding, you know, what what was there, what had been set aside for her and how that could fit into her own kind of objective of um, growing, you know, growing her, her personal wealth, but using that to, you know, further her career and finding, you know, finding ways for, for how we can, you know, put, put all the pieces to, so she, so she can, you know, feel like she can leverage all, all parts of what, you know, she's, what she saved and, and also what her, her family has set aside for her. That's interesting. So you're, you actually can serve as the, as the communicator, even sometimes with actual dollars and cents saying, Hey, you know, here's where you are. Here's your own. You're, you're obviously going to be an earner. At least it sounds that was like, that was the case, but there's also family resources that to a degree can be a part of that. And, and that I'm sure that kind of communication is really reassuring, not only to the young person, but to the parents that they have someone to help with that dialogue. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And it's, it is a dialogue and between both generations. So the, the, the parents, you know, have, you know, their, their own thoughts and, um, you know, for you to kind of be able to interpret those and internalize them and you know, then communicate to the next generation as to, as just another voice as to, you know, here's the real intention behind this of what you know your parents or grandparents set up for you this is how they're they've been thinking about it and it's it's also something that you you should be aware of of what you know what was their intent to begin with and it certainly doesn't have to be our oh the intent is you'll never be able to use this money or, or access this money but you know really how how can it be there to you know as we always say how can it be a, a positive influence yeah. in your life Right, really. So you're you're helping to communicate what were those values that the family developed over the years with regard to finances and helping to transition, yes, the dollars and cents information, but also what was the family value culture 
and that's that's just a tremendous uh, tremendous conversation and gift. Those 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 young people and their and their parents are are very very lucky that they have assistance to for that. You know, it makes me think about this whole notion of for so many of us, we share a financial life with others almost always. You know, we first grow up in some family type of unit, and that's a, a shared financial life. Then many people uh, through whatever uh, partner or spouse or relationship, many have at some point in their life, they share financial lives. They choose to combine their finances in some fashion with someone else, a spouse or a partner. And I would imagine that that has come to you both in terms of the challenges and opportunities in learning how to do that, how to really partner effectively with someone else with, with, uh, with regard to finances. So Nick, do you have any thoughts? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit about how we can learn to talk with, with our partner or our spouse about money if it's just hard. I've, a lot of women tell me this anyway, that, wow, I, I want to have this conversation, but it's, it's hard. How can we start? How can, if, if we haven't been doing that as well as we'd like with a partner or spouse, how can we start doing that, having those money conversations? I would always say to start with what your values are around money and kind of going back to, you know, my personal story, which is, you know, what, what values are you, are you, are you bringing to the relationship? And it doesn't always have to be about who, who makes more money or how much this person brings to the relationship and how much this person saves, but, you know, what, what do you, as partners, what do you both want out of, out of money and what, what's important to you? As Maureen was saying that we live in such a different age where, there are so many choices, you know, particularly around experiences and way, ways to spend money. But you know, it's really deciding sort of what what's going to be most important to you and, and to your relationship. And then, you know, ultimately, how you want to pass that on to your to your children. Because you always want to, I think, emulate. You, you want them to emulate your behavior when it comes to money. You know, a number of studies that we all read say that finances and financial stress can be really one of the most challenging aspects of a shared life. And unfortunately, financial difficulties and lack of communication is sometimes can also be one of the main reasons that marriages don't work. So we know it's so important to do the best we can in, in, in having these conversations, but it's hard. And Unfortunately, I, I know way too many women who, who don't get involved in the finances as much as really I think they should. And so I'm wondering when you have clients who are, have spouses, do you typically encourage both of them to come to meetings and be involved, either Maureen or Nick, whoever wants to respond? Is, is that something that you find is a message that you that you like to give to your clients about how to go about that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I really, I really feel that's, that's really one of my missions is making sure both members are present and both understand. I mean, when you're looking at numbers and, you know, when we meet with clients, we prepare a presentation for them on their accounts and um, making sure both understand the numbers that you're talking about. And I really, 
part of my mission. I'm, I, I really see myself as someone who is passionate about really dis- demystifying money and finance and numbers, knowing that they can be in- intimidating for some women and just really wanting to convey that they're understandable. I try to, try to speak in plain English or if I use a, a piece of finance jargon, which is easy to use, and there mm-hmm. is a lot of jargon in our industry, uh, I will define it so that if they hear it again, they, they might understand it. But yes, I think it is extremely important for both partners in a couple to know about their finances and know about the decisions that we make on their behalf, that we make together, and that really the decisions that they're responsible for as well. You do your families a great service by encouraging both people to be in the conversation, in the meetings. You know, when when we had a conversation with your uh, colleague, uh, Carolyn Beatty, she gave a great suggestion that I have in my head, which is that if you haven't been doing this, if you haven't been going to the meetings or you just haven't engaged in this topic, how could you start? And she said, you know, you could start by asking to read the tax return. And since that's coming up in April, I just have Carolyn's great tip. Because if I, if I haven't been looking at my brokerage statements and I haven't been going to the meetings, even if you've invited me, you know, so conscientiously, I could, I could right now at this time of year start by making sure I understand the tax return that I'm, that I'm going to be signing. So I just thought that was a great way to, you know, to dive in and that then maybe that would, that would help me be able to go ahead and accept the invitation that you and Nick are, are, are giving to come to the meetings, make sure we understand everything and to do that ahead of time, right, Maureen, so that when we get to the money story that you shared, meaning when your parents pass away, it's not so much a mystery. Right. I think that's uh, so important. I just read an article that said that one of the top three concerns of aging people, and look, we're all in that category, whatever the number is, we're all aging, but one of the top concerns is how to live independently and maintain our brains and bodies. And I thought, you know what, that really is sort of says it all about what what we want to have happen. And if we're fortunate to have financial resources and great advisors to help us, do you have any thoughts or experiences about how we can do that using our financial resources to maintain our independence to, to remain healthy? I mean, look, we know that there are always surprises and and crises that we that we can't really prevent. But what are some good habits that we can, how can we use our money to help us stay healthy? Well, it's just a great question, Linda, because it's it's such a sort of it's t- it's top of mind now more and more. And I think really as you alluded to, the biggest wild card here is healthcare costs. And unfortunately in this country they can be they can be quite high. And depending upon their level of wealth, I do certainly introduce the topic of long-term care insurance with my clients. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we certainly have resources that we can refer, where we can refer people. I think it's also as difficult as it is 
I think it's also important to, you know, certainly for, for those with children, once the children are off on their own, off the payroll, as I sometimes joke with clients, um, to really start thinking in terms of downsizing, in terms of downsizing their expenses. That might not include uh, or involve moving, necessarily changing their place of residence. But what I see is that it's harder to do the older you are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's another area where, you know, we're not just sort of dollars and cents, right? I mean, we, we take our clients' lives, we look at the whole picture. We're, and we, we really look at their complete situation. We love visiting clients in their homes and are t- completely thrilled that now that hopefully the worst of COVID is behind us, that we can return, resume doing that. And so advising things like reducing some expenses that may not be necessary anymore. You know, we all get into a kind of lifestyle and, and time goes on, but encouraging and, and really partnering and, and having conversations with clients about reducing expenses where they can. Um, and also, you know, being a resource for people around, around that topic. I mean, we're not experts in everything, but we have contacts in, you know, so many areas in the healthcare field and in the, well, certainly in the insurance field and in growing area of elder consultants who can help individuals, couples, families work through some of these situations. I think it's a terrific goal to remain uh, where you are, to not end up going into an assisted living facility or a nursing home. Certainly there are good options out there for those as well. And that's where we also uh, partner with other expertise outside of the firm in order to help clients make those decisions. Uh, The other thing that we are using increasingly in our firm is what we call our trusted contact uh, form, which you know has been increasingly recommended by the Securities and Exchange Commission, our regulator, where we we're able to you know if we're not if if it's not the case already where we're involving family members, that's also another way where we can reach out to family members and talk with clients and say, look, if something happens to you, I really want to know who is a trusted person mm-hmm. with whom we can talk. And, and sort of bring into the picture. And so we have practical tools like that that we use as well. Well, I've heard so many examples where I think that sometimes the stereotype about financial advisory firms is that you're portfolio managers. And of course, that's a core part of the work. But I've heard from Nick, I'm a coach with young people, you know, whether it's career on establishing these habits. We've heard, you know, it's helping to navigate various transitions in life, whether it's healthcare transitions or retirement transitions or conversations with spouses. One of the questions um, that I find I get from clients is this question of how do I decide who should be the successor trustee if, if you are in a situation where you have family trust? And Maureen, you mentioned that 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 conversation happened to your own family. And there was, you know, there was one answer that was, you know, that was the initial answer and that proved maybe not to be workable. So you all worked it out, but any, any thoughts about that particular question on the estate planning side and, and uh, how a family could 
could have that dialogue about who who should it be that will step in, whether it's that trusted contact or something more formal than a, you know, like a, a trustee. You sit down with them and kind of go through the options. Yes, we do very much. And fortunately, we find increasingly not only do more recently written trusts have uh, do not have a, a requirement for a corporate trustee, which can be. Uh, limiting in some cases, but they often have a requirement for two trustees, yeah. one of which should be an independent trustee. And we serve that in that role all the time. And wow. so we, we uh, frequently step in as the independent trustee, the, the, the trustee who is not a beneficiary, who cannot stand to benefit from any kinds of trust distributions. And so we often start there if that's something that is written into the trust document and the client is used is uh, requesting that. And then we also we also we do advise them on really the best person to make decisions and sort of cast a critical eye on the decisions that are being required by the trust. And it certainly can take uh, more than one conversation. And we also, you know, we are not attorneys at Howland Capital, but we read trust documents all the time. And it's like our colleague, Charlie Clapp likes to say, we live with the results of those documents mm -hmm. along with our clients. And so often when a, when a client is meeting with an estate planning attorney and drafting documents, we are very involved in reading those documents and um, giving our feedback, the drafts, before they go into final form because you know, there's been more than one situation with me, certainly, where a client will say to me, this is what I would like, X, Y, and Z. And then I'll read a trust document and I'll say, do you realize that your wishes actually are not, they are not really being properly conveyed in this or constructed in this trust document. And so we do things like that all the time. But back to that question of, of, of deciding, I think we also have been through this enough with enough families that we are cer we certainly have a seat at the table when those decisions are being made about trustees and successor trustees. That's a, again, a huge service. And I'm just imagining that if these family members uh, of, the, of multiple generations have been in the room with you for years ahead of these events, you know, I'm thinking of if my daughter sat down with you, Nick, when she was 23, getting out of college, and then, you know, hopefully decades later, when it's time for things to pass along, that trust will already be there between the next generation and the advisory team, as opposed to waiting until there's an end of life event, and then you just, you know, you're doing everything without those, without those grounded relationships. So um, just as one with, with kid, the kids of that age, I just would encourage all of our listeners to really take advantage of the opportunities to do some of these other uh, things with you because they're incredibly valuable. And as you say, Maureen, they are best handled not in a crisis situation. Yeah, I think the education along the way is so important because there's there's a lot of vocabulary, especially when it comes to, to trusts and trustees and, and that vocabulary can be intimidating or 
just turn some people off. So I think the earlier that you're introduced and, and brought into these discussions and are educated along the way and as, as to how the thinking is, is evolving over time and, and you maybe there is a, a shift in, in plan and you know understanding, okay, okay why, why are we doing that? Why, why are we setting up this family trust now? You know, what, it goes back to like, what, what is the intention here? Um, and not just for, you know, the next generation, but, you know, generations um, beyond that. Um, so, yeah, really having that, those conversations as a family and, and kind of coming to the decisions together, I think is, is going to have the, the most productive and, and healthy outcome. I'm, I'm curious about an idea that was passed along to me um, about this question of, you know, the legal documents, and, and they are what they are, and, and I'm sure your clients have good advice, and those are well-constructed most of the time, but it is a little bit different language for those of us who are not attorneys. Have you ever had clients uh, draft just a personal letter that they um, include along with their other documents that can be shared with their heirs that, that is from the heart just saying this, this is what I want you to know about our values and what our intentions are. Would something like that, does something like that have a place in this, you know, in this dialogue ever? Oh, absolutely. And um, I feel like I've had the privilege to share a document like that from the Howland family, you know, going back a generation or two with some current clients kind of to give them an example. And, uh, you know, I mean, not, not only is the, is the language in that older document absolutely delightful, but it really, it really um, not only lets clients know that, yes, they, they can actually write what we sometimes call a, call a side letter, mm -hmm. um, making their wishes and their intentions known, but that they can get into the detail, that it can be, it can be quite detailed and that it's, it's quite a it's quite a lovely thing to engage in actually and to leave for those next generations. That can be a little hard to do too if you're the one writing it because it brings about the reality of, of our own mortality. So sometimes it's hard to to really grasp but that that that's that that can be a, a rewarding exercise. And one of my great mentors was having trouble doing that himself and he said, well, I came up with this phrase I'm going to use for this phase that says, that's called after me. And once he used that simple phrase after me, he was able to write that letter, you know, and he was able to really think about his values and how he wanted to pass, to pass them on. So we all sometimes at, at any phase need, need a little bit of help about how to really, how to really start that because it, 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 it can be, it can be tough. And Maureen, you shared the Howland story about giving, giving people an example of how they might go about it. So that's a wonderful, wonderful opportunities. We often also talk with clients about this in conjunction with some other resources that are available out there, like the Five Wishes program. That program really pertains to end-of-life medical choices and specific wishes that an individual has. And there are some more specific medical documents as well that you can review with your primary care physician. But, but then it will also introduce a conversation regarding the overall wishes of, of the individual or the family in conjunction with 
their trust or their will, you know, perhaps if someone doesn't necessarily have a trust. And um, again, I think back to that long-term relationship. I mean, it's, we, we call ourselves trusted advisors and that's certainly intentional that if, you know, if you have a longer term relationship with a client, it's just easier to do. Mm-hmm. It's easier to help them sometimes nudge, nudge them friend in a friendly way to keep thinking and keep working, but th- on these kinds of documents and their wishes, but they don't have to do it alone such an important message. I mean, I think now coming, as you say, hopefully coming to the different phase of this pandemic when we've all been isolated and we've, you know, just had way too, way more time, you know, without being in the same room uh, as those we trust. And now we hope that as we head toward this next phase that we can all resume these conversations. And frankly, maybe, take some of the lessons that we've heard today and and start anew, right? I mean, take these resources that we have and think about how can I how can I do this work better? How can I really re-engage with those around me, my advisory team to to get in to get into a better situation. So I think that's a great reminder that you're there, that you're doing some of these uh, things with your clients that are that are maybe outside you know, the, the typical view of what a financial advisor does, and it's a tremendous resource. Well, you know, this has been such a, such a deep and interesting conversation. Before we finish up, I wondered, is there anything that's on your mind, Nick or Maureen, that you hoped we would touch on today that we somehow, we just haven't been able to? Any, any closing thoughts that you want to chime in with? Particularly for young people who may be stuck between having to deal with aging parents and, and raising a young family, you know, that can be just a really tricky spot to be in. And, um, you know, oftentimes you're, you're responsible for helping your parents through decision, making difficult decisions. And I'd also just say that, you know, that that's where we can also be just, just a great resource for, for someone who's, you know, having to help their parents make difficult decisions. And they, in the case that they, you know, aren't able to think through, those and and just help lay out scenarios and I know it's something Maureen is is helping with right right now yeah so so having the young the younger generation be a partner for them to help in making decisions about their parents right you're exactly right Nick because there's there's so much going on on either side plus they have their own financial lives and professional lives and personal lives going and and on either side their responsibilities and to have that that sounding board you know, just some someone like yourself to go to and say, I, I recognize that this is a very challenging time, but let's, let's, uh, let's tackle it together. Thank you for bringing that up. I think it's always so important to acknowledge where clients are. You know, one of the things I've concluded is sometimes there's only so much a client can do when they're, mm-hmm. when they're juggling so much. And it can be quite a relief to them to be told, well, you know, you have your hands more than full right now. And so I'm going to take this on and I'm going to take this on and I'm going to email you next week. And, and, you know, I think again, life is so much more complicated these days. And I think the other thing I'd like to say, Linda is, uh, and I know that that's been somewhat of a thread through throughout our conversation today. And that is that the, the idea of how still there are too many women out there who 
feel that they're not up to speed on their finances, where they feel they're intimidated. And, and what I would say is, I would just encourage everyone out there, no matter who you are really, please don't be afraid to ask questions. Please don't be afraid to seek more information. Uh, if you have a financial advisor to say, to stop them and say, wait a minute, I don't, I don't understand mm-hmm. those two sentences that you just said. And really, really demand, require and demand that whomever you're working with or wherever you're seeking information, that you understand what's going on. Um, it's certainly possible. It's vital these days. And uh, I just welcome people to keep asking questions of us in the financial world. We can, we can get a bit jargony, and, but it's our role. And certainly in a place like Howland Capital, it's our fiduciary duty to make sure that our clients are treated well, of course, but they all, that they also understand um, their finances. Well, I can't imagine a better um, way to close this conversation, Maureen, than that reminder. I'm sure of our listeners listening to you and Nick and how calm you are and reassuring you are. I feel, I feel more relaxed after this about my own situation, just listening to some of the things that you have tackled with your clients. And that's really the one of the main goals of the Money Stories programs is to open this conversation and to say that there's a tremendous resource out there within the profession that you all have chosen to really help with demystify this conversation. So um, I want to thank you both for joining this conversation today. It's been really very enriching. And just a reminder that we'll be following up with an article that's going to highlight some of the topics that Nick and Maureen have covered. And so that'll be coming along and we look forward to our next conversation. So thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Want to learn more about Howland Capital? Visit howlandcapital.com to find out more.